Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what we find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh45. We have three hosts here this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, one of the first email newsletters on the internet. I'm Leo Notenboom, a lover of coffee, corgis, and computers, not always in that order. And of course, I'm the Leo behind askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I'm the Gary behind MacMost.com. <laughs> <laughs> and I post tutorials for Apple users there almost every day. And I also make mobile games, mostly for Apple mobile devices. You can find those at clevermedia.com. So, oh, guys, what did we do this week? And I can say I'm the Randy behind randysrandom.com. Yes. How's Randy's that? <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll need to create something that has my name in it. Well, I, I took a takeaway from our meeting in person last week. I've got a new website starting up. Uh, it's going to be my first B2B. And uh, I don't have, I'm not ready to announce it yet, but, you know, stay tuned. I'm, I'm having fun doing another website. So why not? Hey, that's the uh, same thing for me. I'm having fun doing another website. And I will certainly be ready to talk about that next week. So, yeah, uh, so we both came away with new websites. How about you, Leo? Did you come away with a new website? I came away with just a lot of work that I had to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> Travel distracted me. You probably noticed last week I wasn't really doing a whole lot of work while we were together. And uh, so I had, a lot, had all of last week's work to catch up on and starting in on this week. By the way, Randy, you, uh, you have um, uh, spilled the beans. We were very coy last week about where we were going and what we were doing. And I noticed in the, uh, the This Is True that just just came out mere moments ago that um, you, uh, you like told everybody about our little mastermind group. Well, I didn't say who was in it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, now you have. It doesn't uh, take too much to say, hey, right. these guys were all in the same room. And Randy said about his mastermind group, you know, two and two is an easy math, math equation. I have this no idea what either of you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were just getting together because we were friends. Yeah, that's it. Happened to be in the same place. Yeah, that's it. Come have a drink. Drive nine hours and have a drink. Okay. Nine hours. Are you kidding? It was two days each way. Yeah. And <laughs> so since you've brought it up, Leo, if ah. any of our listeners out there are doing online entrepreneurial stuff and yeah. want to be in one of the most awesome mastermind groups that has ever been created has been running since 1999 for God's sake. Send a note to one of us, one of us three saying you're interested in information on that and uh, we'll talk. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I'm making the, basically the same, um, Comment in my newsletter that goes out uh, tomorrow, Tuesday morning. Um, you know, just letting people know uh, that uh, you know it's an interesting. I mean, my, the the position I've taken on it a long time. I've been a part of this group since two thousand and two thousand and one, actually, um, and uh, it is responsible for Askleo existing. There's just no other way of putting it. So, uh, yeah, big opportunity, big big, deal, really big deal. Hey, uh, speaking of tech entrepreneurs, we the world lost one of the original. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I was very shocked to hear this afternoon that Paul Allen had passed away. Um, was I the one that brought that to your attention? Um, actually, no. Uh, okay. It's, it was one of the, uh, we're, we're having us, uh, some parts of our interior painted and it was one of the painters that mentioned it. I'm not sure how he ended up coming with it. Um, well, it is a Seattle painter. So, you know, well, yeah. Uh, but I was, I was, like I said, I was really shocked. It was just a couple of weeks ago that they had announced that the non Hodgkin's lymphoma had returned. And since he had uh, done such a fantastic job of beating it for so many years that, um, you know, it was like, nah, okay, it's back. He'll do it. But uh, to have it go, you know, like within a couple of weeks, just have him go like this. My suspicion, what I told my wife earlier is that uh, when they announced it last week, I suspect that he was further along than they were, than they were letting on. So it was Paul that uh, convinced, uh, God, I can't even think of his partner's name now. Bill, remember Bill? Bill Gates. <laughs> It was Paul that that got Bill Gates to quit MIT and start Microsoft. Harvard, I think. Harvard, yeah, yeah, Harvard. Yeah, it's Harvard. yeah they were the they were the they were the team, right? You know, it was there's yeah. the Jobs and Wozniak team, and there's the it's an Allen. An Allen team. Yep. Um, it's interesting when I started at Microsoft in 1983. Uh, that was right around the time that the um, the cancer was first diagnosed. So we're talking 35 years ago. Wow. And uh, he had, uh, you know, we, we basically, you know, two ships passing in the night kind of a thing. Um, he went on leave, medical leave, right about the time I showed up. So I never really interacted with him uh, much at all when he was there because we didn't, just didn't overlap that much. Um, and then it wasn't that long after he returned to work that he then set off on his own, basically, and started originally Vulcan. Uh, I think it was the name of the company that did it. I don't even remember that first software project. It was a uh, um, a different way of uh, of looking at programming that uh, he and a number of folks went together to to start up. But ever, I mean, he's had his fingers in so many different pies that. Uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to categorize him to be honest. On one hand, you'd like to think of him as you know tech entrepreneur, starter, you know, co-founder of Microsoft, but in reality, um, he did so so much more. Mm. Well, well, I follow a lot of people on Twitter that have to do with space, mm-hmm. and one of my one of the people I follow lamented his passing because he was so generous in giving to space related stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the guy gave away at least $2 billion in his lifetime. And I suspect more to come. Um, and it's, you know, he really helped. I think he helped with SETI and other th- things like that. So one of the things that I said, to, I told my wife years ago was that um, if, uh, if I were a multi-billionaire, uh, he's the multi-billionaire that I would want to be. Yeah, because he didn't sit on his money. He used it for good things. Not that Bill isn't, you know, as the other example, isn't using his money for good things. But um, Paul, he did good in society, but he also had, you know, used it some for himself. He he did it for his community. I mean, there was just a whole lot of different things that um, he uh, he ended up set putting both his attention and his money to. It was very uh, 
and a very impressive way to live. He's he's definitely someone that certainly the world will will miss, but the the Seattle area, the community here, will miss as well, just because he's had such a dramatic impact on it. Hmm. So. Well, there really is no segue, so I'll just go ahead and talk about our our next story. Um, I ran across this uh, just this afternoon. Uh, I'm not sure if um, if you guys are aware, but I'm a regular uh, blood donor. I, technically, it's not a blood donation to apheresis, which actually takes platelets out of the blood um, and uses that, as it turns out, for cancer patients, I have no idea if it, it relates at all to uh, to the kind of cancers that Paul Allen has. But apheresis is, you know, um, uh, a couple hours. You're basically sitting in a chair while they're while they, I call it, borrow my blood and return most of it back to me after taking the platelets out. One of the problems that the um, uh, the blood donation um, industry, if you will. Um, is having is that they are uh, skewed to the older uh, demographic folks that have more time or at least more knowledge or more more interest in in actually doing these kinds of of donations and have the time to do so uh, they're having trouble figuring out how to attract a younger crowd and what our local organization has done it's called bloodworks northwest they created an app for that and apparently, the app is actually having a very positive impact. They had a test down in Oregon, and um, the headline is how to, mo- how, to, how to Motivate Millennials to Give Blood. Bloodworks Northwest launches an app after a successful test. I just like the idea of reaching out to a different crowd using technology. This is a wonderful way of using some of the technology that we all take for granted um, in ways to, uh, to expand the, uh, the donor base. Hmm. Is it like a, is it gamifying it somehow or? You know, I, when I first saw that, that's what I thought. But mm. in reality, and I, I wouldn't put them past it, wouldn't put it them, ah, I wouldn't put it past them to someday do that. No, this is way, way, way more simpler than that. What they discovered was that a lot of millennials didn't know what it took, didn't know where to go, didn't know who to ask, didn't know how valuable it was. So it's basically, you know, the very basics of here's your local blood center. Here's what you can expect. Here's how long it takes. Here are the different kinds of things you can do. Here's how often you can donate. Here are the things to watch for. Um, and I suspect, I haven't looked at it because they actually have another app for uh, for scheduling, but I'm pretty sure they've actually got scheduling factored in there as well. So that, you know, you just, just like you call up your Uber, you can go to your app and schedule your blood donation. Hmm. And we'll have the links to the Play Store and iTunes on the show page. Oh, cool. You found it. Yeah. Um, yeah the, uh, like I said, I have the older app, which was all about scheduling uh, and only about scheduling. It didn't have the, uh, the newer interface that apparently provides so much more information. So like I said, it's, very, it's a very low key, but it's a very interesting use of the technology that I just, just caught my interest when I ran across it this afternoon. Well, interestingly, our local hospital has closed their blood donation center. Uh, my wife and I used to go there every eight weeks and uh, you know, drain a pint. Mm-hmm. And they found that because of all the efforts to use less blood, um, in part because there was kind of a shortage from the AIDS crisis and hepatitis and all this other stuff that's going on, mm-hmm. that 
they found that most of the blood that they were collecting was going to waste. It was expiring before they could use it. Wow. So that's, you know, a big change from what we've seen in the past. And, you know, that doesn't, they didn't have an apheresis center. So uh, I don't know anything about that as far as local usage, but they basically said, Hey, thanks very much. Uh, Here's your multi-gallon pin and, uh, and see you later. It's interesting because I was chatting with uh, one of the technicians at the, the last time I was out there and uh, the, uh, the amount of time that they can keep whole blood is longer than they can keep the platelets. So the platelets are only good for like a couple of days. So they end up getting used relatively quickly. Now, of course, okay. Seattle has a couple of uh, cancer centers that are more than happy to, uh, to take as much, you know, as many platelets as you can give. The um, whole blood, on the other hand, when the uh, this was actually what was it the not Michael but the hurricane immediately prior to that was that Florence. Uh, yeah. Anyway, when that hurricane hit, uh, there was a blood drive here, and they were literally collecting blood that would then get flown to the impacted area on the other side of the country. So I'm kind of surprised that uh, you know a blood center such as yours couldn't necessarily serve a larger area, perhaps even including Denver, given that it's, you know, just a few hours away. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. And yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. And uh, I, the bigger hospital that's an hour and a half north apparently still has a blood center. Oh, good. And that's where our, our hospital is getting it when they need it. Right. Uh, but there you go. And, and interestingly enough, we're in a very rural area. We have, we use the medical helicopters quite a bit, especially for, you know, real heavy trauma when somebody gets injured. The helicopter carries blood. Oh, does it? Yeah. That's I was really surprised to find that out. Yeah. Where does it come out of? Uh, Montrose, actually. There's one in Montrose, uh, which is our local hospital. It's on the hospital roof. There's one in Grand Junction, which is the bigger hospital to the north that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one in Rifle, which is up I-70 aways, and then there's another one in Durango, which is to our south. You've got them all over the place. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's actually talk about technology. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, that was, no, you're talking about an app. That's technology, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here. It's, it's tech. Why not? And, it, and it's you know targeting geeks, so why not? They're, they're tech. We're tech, I should say. Well, the next item is even geekier. Yeah, and this is kind of FUD, but there's a big headline in ZDNet that around 62% of all internet sites will run an unsupported PHP version in 10 weeks. And the bottom line is PHP 5, 5.x, is going end of life. We've known this for a long time. PHP 7 is out. and uh, you know, people should be updating. And just by weird coincidence, I updated all my sites to PHP 7 last week, and it broke one of them. So I mm. uh, I backed it out and, and went back to, to 5.x. And uh, it, it was actually kind of a simple thing that we can fix pretty easily, but I didn't want to do it while we were on the road. So right. uh, I'll, I'll do it this week. 
Yep. And it's, it, it, it's kind of a case of having a huge installed base. Uh, I think of it as either in, in the Windows world, comparing it to like Windows XP or even Windows 7 eventually. They're both going end of life. You know, XP obviously is end of life for quite some time. Um, but 7 will go end of life here in the next couple of years. And yet people will keep using it. Um, and yeah, if there's no big security thing found in it, that won't be too bad of an issue. Um, if there is something major that's, that comes across, well, we saw it with XP. There was one major thing that, that showed up a few months after XP was end of life. And yeah, they kind of sort of went ahead and, and you know, fixed it anyway, even though they weren't supposed to. Um, so you're right. It is on one hand, you're right. It's FUD. It's, it's, you know, this standard scary headline. Um, on the other hand, yeah, websites should be doing, you know, what you tried to do last week with all your sites and that is upgraded to the latest. So um, the now, reason of, of course, that so many websites, such a high percentage is that WordPress uses PHP and uh, their minimum requirement for WordPress is 5.2, which is an ancient version. Right. And there's some pressure on them to, to say, hey, come on, you know, get with the program. They're probably afraid that they can break some websites because if they really require, you know, PHP 7 and they don't know how to update their sites, they could break their sites. I think that's one of the real reasons behind um – you know, th this seeming dragging of feet is that uh, there are so many websites that, quite honestly, there's nobody around to fix them. They're just there. They're working. Um, you know, a great example is this nonprofit that I've been working with for a while now, getting their uh, website actually migrated over to, uh, to WordPress. The previous installation, the previous website was PHP-based, but their um, developer you know, had basically disappeared. So they had, they could use the site and they could make some limited updates to the site, but, you know, upgrading a PHP version was, you know, way, way, way out of their wheelhouse. And it's also not the kind of a thing that most web hosts are going to do for you because it typically does require a little bit of, well, you know, we kind of sort of broke this over here, so we should tweak that and we should fix that or whatever. Um, as you saw, Randy, uh, with, you know, the thing that broke on your site, yeah, it's relatively simple, but it's something that the site owner needs to do um, as opposed to expecting the other. Yeah, it's so. simple because I know how to do, go in on uh, Secure Shell and do command line stuff and, right. And, right. and fix things. Or you know, know somebody the, who does. Yeah, <laughs> most, most people don't know, have any clue what SSH is right. or sometimes even what PHP is. I, PHP or FTP, you know, the, the kind of basic things that we work with every day. Right. So, yeah, I could see this, you know, being one of those things that's going to linger for quite some time, but I really don't see it as having dramatic, um, you know, negative impact on anybody's security or stability. Now, it's possible, certainly, you know, we said this with XP. Um, we'll say it again with Windows 7 when it goes end of life. Um, you know, hey, if we do find something bad, we're not going to get a fix. But it's been how many years since XP happened? And it's just not, there hasn't been any, you know, major disaster that, of course, um, um, people were, were wailing and gnashing their teeth about. So, well, And I remember with XP, one of the big problems was so many automatic teller machines ran it. And we're talking about millions and millions of, of right. 
systems that were up and running with it, and you don't want to you know go and change things when you have such a secure environment. And I think the same thing is going to be happening pretty soon with Windows 7. Right, right. Same thing with Windows 7 and, as you see, with uh, PHP. So, like I said, I'm not expecting it to be a disaster. It's Like you said, it's probably more FUD than anything else. You said it's 10 weeks out. We'll see. What yeah, it, December 31st is the bottom line. So, uh, you know, and this not only affects WordPress sites, if you have Joomla or Drupal, mm. You know, mm-hmm. those need to be updated too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and any custom code you may have too. So like for somebody who uses WordPress, that's like, even if you don't code yourself, you may have plugins or stuff in your theme or whatever that suddenly if you up, you know, if you go from uh, PHP 5 something to 7, suddenly, and it, it may not be like the whole site doesn't work. It just may be you get some sort of ugly message in the middle of some page you know, some warning or something. Something doesn't work as expected. Um, so it's a pain. But it could be real bad, like, say, the you know, the link to your database or something like that, and really yeah. basically take the entire site down. I'm trying to remember, Randy, what was the, the, uh, the symptom of your failure? I know, I, remember, I know what the cause was. I just don't remember what the symptom was. It had to do with um, the back-end program that you wrote for me that I'm not going to talk about. But um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it was actually it wasn't WordPress at all. It was the custom right. that you're running to do some of your. Uh, yeah, as Gary said, you know, custom software is yep. affected also, and in my case, it was custom software. Yep, that's right. Alrighty, it's a re- relatively easy fix, but you got to know how to fix it. So, in the category of, um, I just get amazed every day. Uh, I ran across a headline. It's actually out on PC World. Um, and of course, you know, they've got their link so that you can go, go buy this one terabyte SanDisk Extreme Portable SSD just hit an all time low of now, now the fact that there is a one terabyte <laughs> external yeah. SSD, uh, which happens to have a USB three interface. So it's all nice and fast. Actually, it's a 3.1 across the USB-C connector. I mean, it's just it's just so freaking cool. It's 200 bucks, $200 for an external terabyte that honestly, the interface. I wish I could get an internal for that. Uh, Maybe I can now, but. Well, you know, it's funny because if the interface is fast enough and USB 3 is, if your computer supports it, um, you might as well just use it as an extra, as an internal drive. I mean, you could use it as if it were an internal drive. Um, I know here, as I sit here with my, uh, it's, with the desktop machine that I'm running, my primary storage is actually a high-speed external drive. Um, mm. And it's just, it's fine. It's plenty fast for the kinds of things that I'm doing. And I think the same is true for a lot of people. But of course, in my case, you know, the things that I keep preaching, of course, is backing up. And um, this is, you know, it's a terabyte. Holy crap, that's a lot of space, right? For just backing up is great. Um, SSD might be overkill for backing up. Oh but yeah, two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks. Well, right? here's the thing. Okay. So I get so I get this from time to time. I'll get somebody who gets enthusiastic about backing up, which is great because I encourage people be enthusiastic about backing up. Yes. And they'll be like, oh, I'm going to go for it. I understand the importance of backing up. And then they'll say, Oh, here's my setup, and they'll say they've got a an external SSD 
for backing up. And it is overkill. And you know, you're you're amazed that for two hundred dollars you can get a one terabyte SSD, but that uh, the current price for a name brand four terabyte external drive hard drive is hundred bucks. Right. So you get four times the storage, and storage is more important than speed when it comes to backup. Um, and it's US. I'm talking like you know a Western Digital external four terabyte drive USB three. Hundred bucks now, and uh, and that's great. And the the reason speed isn't important is, you know, there's you're writing stuff to the drive. You know, usually stuff you're not working on. You know, you're you're not sitting there manually doing the backup. The computer's doing it in the background. But you know, stuff that speed is important is like when you're editing video. You may not think that you're saving files, but as you're editing, it's constantly reading and writing to the hard drive. Sure. Or working with large images, or you know anything that's just a lot of data, photos, anything. Um, that's when you want the SSD. So if you, for instance, are editing video and you have huge video files and you don't have a ready, say you've got like a, a laptop and the laptop has an SSD and it's smaller, and you're like, oh, now I have to edit all these videos. I'll have an external drive that I can store the video on, and an SSD is ideal. For that, this this kind of deal, two hundred dollars for a terabyte external, super fast. That's great. But if you're just having an automatic backup that runs every hour, every day, then you're better off spending hundred bucks getting a four terabyte hard drive that uh, you know will store that much more data. You know, can store years worth of backups um, rather than a smaller drive. And you know, you're you're kind of throwing away a little bit of money and. And for some speed, you don't need. No, you're you're absolutely right, Gary. I, I certainly don't mean to imply otherwise. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I do want you know if an SSD yeah. is what gets people excited enough to actually take that step, <laughs> buy one yeah. and start backing up, then it's absolutely worth every penny. Now, <laughs> you if know? you're if you want to do something like I years ago, I used to clone my hard drive and do an offsite backup. So say, you know, every month or so, I would make a clone of my drive, put it in a safety deposit box. And this was before I had, you know, internet that was fast enough to do online backups. And a lot of people are still in that situation where the internet and their location isn't fast enough for them to back up online. So their backup is local, meaning that all their data is under one roof. And it's nice to be able to clone your drive and put it somewhere else, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, say. Then an SSD actually is useful because that cloning process will be much quicker. So, you know, if it's the kind of thing where you're sick of like starting the clone and letting it clone overnight because you have a terabyte of stuff, um, having an SSD for some more money may, may make it easier for you to do that. Yep. yep. And when I got a new drive for my wife to do her backups, uh, yeah, I got one of those two. In my case, two terabytes was plenty for her, and uh, yeah, sixty-five dollars. Yeah, three three terabytes is eighty-nine, and four terabytes is yep ninety-nine ninety-nine. So, didn't someone last week mention that they had just gotten like a forty terabyte? Um, yeah, drive array. I don't remember who that was. Yeah, I, I think it was it. Alan. Alan mentioned, but that. it's an incredible yeah. amount of data. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, but you know he's doing videos and stuff. So of course, oh yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny is that I've got data. this external drive that I've got. Um, it's actually uh, hard drive based. Um, it's um, 
RAID, so I'm getting my speed from that instead of SSD technology, but it's eight terabytes, which, you know, right. for me is plenty. But now, you know, given what you can get for the same amount of money, uh, yeah, 40 is where I'd be going. <laughs> yeah, mine was eight too. And I, you know, it's like, yeah, this, this will be a lot. And I was like, not anymore. Well, I haven't filled mine up yet. I am too. I haven't either. So, but, but not quite at the rate that Alan has been for sure. But uh, yes, disk space is amazing. So, yep. so Gary, speaking of amazing, what's this Facebook thing? Well, I don't know if it's amazing or not. <laughs> and, and they, they announced last week um, they'll be coming out with a device. It's supposed to come out in November, and you can pre-order it now. Uh, and it's called Facebook Portal. And it's Facebook's first hardware device. So an Did, actual... Didn't they do a phone once? I think they tried to, but I don't think it actually came out or got okay. beyond the... Yeah, so this is... So this is set up, you know, they, they will include, of course, include the links. It's set up to be something where, you know, you sit, sit on a table or, you know, somewhere in a room and it's a screen with a camera on top. With the idea being, you know, its primary function will be as a video phone kind of deal. Um, you know, and so it's not necessarily like a revolutionary new device because there's been things like that before, but... It is basically, you know, you look at the pictures, it's basically a tablet. And they say they will have, um, you know, that that this kind of, you know, using Facebook Messenger and being able to video chat with somebody will be a primary function of it. And it will do some other things as well, like it will come with Alexa. And it will also come with... Um, uh, like ability to watch Facebook videos, uh, use some music services like Spotify and Pandora and stuff. So there'll be some apps and they can add new apps to, to it in the future. So kind of like a tablet. Now they're pricing it. It's pretty reasonably priced. I think there's a, with a $200 version and a 350 version, but in a way it's kind of, it's like, it doesn't seem to do anything. I, I'm sure it doesn't do anything that a, tablet already doesn't do it. either an iPad or uh, you know a, an Android tablet doesn't already do but um, so you know it's kind of but it actually does less right you know you would have those tablets you, you know there's tons of apps and huge app stores and and you know you get all these business uses for it and personal uses and all that and this is kind of saying oh, we're just going to restrict it to just a few things at first and uh, so it's basically get a tablet that does less but maybe there's something to be said for that, right? Having a, a device that is dedicated to specific things, um, especially for people that are non-tech, you know, and may look at a tablet and say, I don't have any use for that until somebody specifically sits them down and shows them, oh, you do this, this, and this, and now you're chatting with your grandkids, you know, whereas this is right up front, you know, you just you tap a button and you're chatting with your grandkids. Um, or what do you guys think? I mean, is the room, sh should there be kind of simpler devices out there or should everything it, be a... It reminds me very much of the Lenovo, um, what's that called? The smart display that has the Google Assistant built in as opposed to the A-word one. Yeah. But, uh, I don't want to say it out loud because I've yeah. got one in the room here. I mentioned her earlier and I'm sorry. I apologize. I had to, to mute mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it does remind me of that. It also reminds me of, to be honest, 
a Kindle. When you think about it, a Kindle is a dedicated function device, and yet yeah. it's a tablet. Um, some of them actually run uh, very highly customized versions of uh, the Android operating system. Uh, something that, I mean, like my Kindle Fire, which is a few years old, uh, it runs the Android operating system. And yes, if you know what you're doing, you can sideload APK files and you know install things on it. But um, but I think you're right, Gary. I think that for a lot of people, they don't want the complexity of all these other functions or the ability to do all this other stuff. They just want it to work at what they want it to work at. And if that means you know making it really really simple to just do whatever it does, um, there's value in that. I think. Now the question is: Is there enough value? Is there enough? Yeah, and it's. You know, I've I've seen a lot of projects over the years, especially when I used to do consulting and stuff, that trying to reach the non-tech market, you know, with communication devices. I have a, I even briefly worked on one um, that was a, a fax device. Just saying Kevin isn't here, but it's a fax <laughs> device that was basically for, for seniors that, you know, at the time, we're talking probably around the year 2000 or so. Um, that, you know, the time and seniors that would not have had access to really any computers and it, this cut basic little printer thing, you hooked it up to a phone line and what it would do is you would, um, you could fax to the, or you could actually do it online. You could create something and scan it in or whatever and send it to their email address, which basically then the next time their machine checked in on the phone line, it would receive it and print out a sheet of paper with whatever it was that you, you know, drew on it. So you could have, you could have like the kids, you know, the, the grandkids like make drawings and stuff for grandma and grandpa. And then they, and then you could send it to them and they would get a printout. And the, and then they could in turn write things on this piece of paper and I then put it into the machine and it would, sent i think you know it was like an attempt to try to do that of course it never never took off or never got past testing i think and there's been a just a variety of little devices like that for seniors or children sometimes on the other end of course now that's that's kind of laughable as the as the five-year-olds are grabbing the tablets and using them like they always knew how they worked um so i don't know now we have everybody's got phones so not everybody's got smartphones though. But speaking of phones, one of the, one of the more popular phones um, in certain demographics are, I uh, forget what they're called, but they're the big buttons, few functions phones, mm-hmm. right? The, the old flip phones. Uh, you see them advertised in uh, AARP magazine all the time. Consumer um, cellular is the brand behind that. That's the provider, but the, I think if I remember right, the phone itself had some kind of a trade name. Probably does. But the point, point being that it's mostly just a phone, and you know it's got nice big buttons, right? So it's easy to yeah. easy to to manipulate. Um, so once again, you know there are markets where dedicated function devices, or at least devices that prioritize certain types of uh, functions. Uh, work well yeah be interesting to see i mean if there's a real market for this and what it is and who knows i mean facebook's got plenty of money so i'm sure they're thinking well they want to get into hardware here's a good place to start and they can learn from it and uh you know i don't know if they expect this to take over the world or anything but but uh but yeah i it's I, funny I wanna... go ahead 
Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm wondering like how, you know, when this thing comes out, I assume, I'm assuming it's Android based. And I, I don't know though. It'd be interesting to see when it comes out, if you could, if there's an app store and like a developer like me could actually uh, have their apps working on it. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, it's funny, neither of you have mentioned the what I would expect to be the biggest uh, objection to this device uh, that, in fact, I've heard of uh, already oh, yeah. a couple of times. And that is, this is Facebook, and you're letting them put a camera in your room? Um, <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole concept of privacy is kind of a, I'll just say, interesting one when it comes to Facebook. And this seems like another toe in the door. It's a. It's not just a camera. It's a microphone. We worry about our our Amazon devices uh, listening to us. Um, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't care about Amazon that much. I really don't think they're listening. But Facebook has done some really creepy things from time to time that really make you wonder. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that is actually pretty much every news story about it has been talking about. The privacy aspect of it um yeah so it's def- certainly not going to help their sales but i think a lot of the people that are tech savvy enough to be concerned about privacy at that level probably aren't in the market you know i mean they if they want to video chat with somebody they already have the ability to do that they don't need to have a something sitting on their coffee table in their living room doing it right so but they may have somebody in their family that that they want to talk to that they can't and they you think well 200 bucks i could sit on a table and uh you know now communicate with them so yeah right this doesn't seem like the kind of a device that's going to be directly adopted by early adopters it's it's like you say at at best my to make i i rarely make predictions, but this one does not feel like a winner. Uh, it feels like an interesting experiment, but in terms of, of actual, you know, product success, um, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Randy, you've got something else? Yeah. Something just came to my attention. Actually, while we were recording, guess what? We're going to get to whip the llama's ass again. Oh yeah, Winamp is coming back. <laughs> Winamp is coming back, um, both as a mobile audio app and the desktop app. There's a big community that still uses Winamp, and I'm one of them. I, I was listening to music on it today, and I am just thrilled that it's coming back. I mean, AOL kind of killed it. They um, they bought it out, and then you know AOL had their problems, and they didn't see a, a you know a monetization scheme for it because it's a free app and it kind of died off, but it's coming back. It was last updated five years ago. My question to you, Randy, I mean, I'm a, I'm a VLC user. That's what I've been using since I did used to use WinApp, but um, VLC does fine for me. So let me put it this way. I'll be very inflammatory. What's so great about WinApp? I just like the way it works. Um, Right down to, when you um, hit stop or pause, it ramps the volume down instead of just cutting it off. You know, it's just, it's very well thought out. I, I think it looks good and I think it works well. You can do playlists with it. And it's got all these extensions that you can use. So bottom line is I just don't think there's anything as good, let alone better. And it hasn't been updated in 
since 2013. So when is it supposed to come out? Good question. I don't think I have that with for you right now, but uh, but I have a TechCrunch article that I'll uh, link to on the show page. And awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, you know how many different ways do we really need to play our MP3s? Uh, I think we all have our our favorite user interfaces. Um, if there were one application that I wish would get updated and get fixed and fixed properly. It's actually the Amazon music player, but that's because I'm all in on Amazon for my music. Um, and that music player, especially if you have a large music collection, uh, like I do, I've got, I don't know, five digits, like at least 10,000 different songs, if not uh, two or three times as many. Um, it just bogs down like crazy. And that's unfortunate because otherwise you know, that's, that's a primary way of, of getting out some of my music. Yeah. But yes, you know, so for the record, VLC also lets you do playlists and, uh, you know, it, it's extremely customizable, although I rarely customize it just because. Um, and I actually have VLC too. I use it for video. So ne- right. Ne- so neither of you guys are using a streaming service. You're both doing, you know, just your own files and using those as your music collection. For yeah. the most part, that's what I have, although I do subscribe to something called calmradio.com. Huh. Uh, it's a uh, uh, service. They have a few upbeat playlists, but uh, to be honest, it was, it was provided as um, uh, one of the demo uh, streams in, uh, in a vehicle, and I got tired of the commercials and I kept choosing those channels. I mean, there are some definitely some interesting channels. If you like classical music, they've got a tremendous number of, of selections there. Obviously if you like um, ambient, they've got a bunch of stuff there, but um, that's the only one that I'm currently paying any money to. I have Spotify around. Um, I used to have Pandora, but I stepped away from it. A lot of people seem to be publishing lists and stuff on Spotify. Just recently reinstalled it. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, I used to be a huge. Well, no, I still am a huge fan of Spotify. I switched to Apple Music only because you know what I do at Mac most. It made sense for me to be sure. using you know using Apple Music. But before that, I was using Spotify, and I I think it's a great product, and I think Apple Music's a great product. I actually used to be a subscriber to Pandora as well, but mm-hmm. couldn't really justify you know c- continuing to be a subscriber because I was always using Spotify for a while and then. Um, Apple Music for, you know, their stations and things like that in, in a Pandora-like kind of way. But I, I actually, I mean, God, I used to think of my music collection, my digital music collection, it's such a valuable thing, you know, that I had, uh, you know, all my old CDs ripped in there and I had stuff I had purchased from a variety of sources, a lot of which don't exist anymore that allows you to buy albums, you know, pay 10 bucks for an album or something. And and including iTunes, of course. And I had this collection that was carefully curated and backed up. And now I don't even care anymore because I'm doing the, the uh, streaming service stuff. I'm doing that for so long that I I kind of don't even remember what I actually own. Uh, I, well, I don't own anything. That's the answer. Nobody does, um, unless you're a music publisher or artist. But um, I, uh, you know, which ones I had actually purchased for lifetime listening rights, I guess. Um, and what I actually just added to my, you know, I guess my playlists on a streaming service. 
Um, so yeah, so I, so Winamp, I used to use it too a long time ago. Now, if I remember right, that old version of Winamp used to um, connect up to various streaming services at the time. Um, right. There were like streaming stations and so forth, and Winamp yes. actually understood a number of the different protocols that were used at the time. It'll be interesting to see if any of that or how much of that uh, they bring forward into a uh, you know, Pandora slash Spotify slash TuneIn slash Calm Radio slash Amazon Unlimited uh, and <laughs> Apple Music World, right? I mean, there's so many streaming opportunities that it's hard to, uh, hard to see what they might hook up to. And there are APIs for just about everything. So, you know, because all these services, they don't necessarily care if you use their app as long as you're paying the subscription fee, right? So there are apps that you can get that will play music from a streaming service that you can sign into with your password. So it'll be interesting to see if they do that. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of, you know, one of the things that surprises a lot of people when I mentioned to them is the fact that they can stream, you know, all these internet radio stations. And I mean that in the, in the old fashioned sense where there's a single stream of music. It's not customizing some playlist for you. It's, you know, either, either a, a real radio station or just a, a non-broadcasting radio station that just does it over the internet. Tons of them. They yeah. were around way back when, and they're still around. And you could use, on the Mac, you could use iTunes to stream them. You could use almost any web browser actually understands. Mm-hmm. You put the URL for the stream in there. The web browser will stream it for you. And there's tons of little apps. So um, you could do cool things like, you know, listen to your old college radio station. You know, they're probably streaming online because they I didn't probably, listen to that when I was in college. Well, yeah. Well, now, <laughs> now you can find out what they're up to. Um, you know, I found you, myself listening to uh, radio stations from the Netherlands just before I was heading over there uh, earlier this year. So, yeah. Well, that's kind of neat. Yep. Uh, immerse yeah. yourself in the language and all that. There's another source of streaming audio these days that a lot of people aren't thinking of either, and that's YouTube. Um, not only does YouTube have its own music streaming service, but there are a ton of live stations on YouTube. I've been using them lately for uh, background noise. So it's not the, you know, not the heavy vocals that would distract me, but there's a lot of instrumental and other good stuff. Um, anything from new agey kinds of, of background music to, I was listening to uh, some more progressive trance this afternoon, a little bit, you know, a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more uh, something to get me moving a little bit. And uh, that's all on YouTube free. You just have to go search for them and leave YouTube playing in a in a window. Yeah. So that's a specific service as opposed to just finding. Uh, nope. These are just random people that have you know either put, put music on. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. But I I thought you were saying that there's actually a streaming service from them. They are streaming. They're basically live YouTube channels. You know how you can post to YouTube. Oh, I see. That's all they're doing, except they're doing it like 24 hours a day. Um, it's pretty pretty interesting. I have no idea what the revenue model is, because I'm not looking at it. Uh, there are a few that have some commercials in places, but the ones that I've been listening to lately do not. They're just continuous, uninterrupted music streaming on YouTube for free. And sometimes they'll have a, a you know a static image. Sometimes they'll have a looping image, like the one I was looking at today was a steaming coffee cup. And it's, <laughs> no wonder yeah. it attracted you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, so obviously there's a loop in there, but that's all it was doing. So it's taking up a little bit of video bandwidth in addition to the audio. 
So we, we definitely need the link to that one, Leo. So we'll put that on the show page. Oh, sure. Yep. Yep. As an example, absolutely. So, but yeah, there's so many places to get streaming audio right now. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I understand where you went, Gary. I really do. Cause I, I did exactly what you described. I very carefully ripped all of the CDs that I own and collected them. I've got them on my machine. I've got them backed up. I can, um, as it turns out, these are the ones that I can all, I uploaded into Amazon music so that I could actually access them from a single player along with whatever other music I might buy from Amazon. Um, but there's just so much and it's so hard to dig through. And, and sometimes yeah. it's easier to flip over to a stream and hit play. Yeah, no, definitely. Or go to one of these stations. I still listen to one terrestrial radio station and sometimes I listen to them streaming, but there's a public radio station here in Denver that uh, plays eclectic music, you know, uh, pop rock, all sorts of odd, interesting things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important because I'll discover new stuff that way. Whereas when I'm listening to Apple music, I'm just listening to the things I already know I like <laughs> and I need to, you know, find new artists every once in a while. And I do, uh, I'll find it. And I love that a lot of radio stations today are very um, good with tech in that, for instance, this one actually has a running playlist. So yes. I could hear something in the car. That's a really convenient, especially when it's a short trip, 10 minutes or so. I'm not going to start my audio book up in my car. And I, so I'll hear two or three songs on the radio. If there's one I like, I can get back to my office and like three hours later, remember, oh yeah, wait a bit. There was that song I like. I wonder who did that. And I could go back in their playlist online on their website and say, yeah, yeah that was about 5.30. And yep, it's got to be this one in their playlist. I see it. And then uh, I know who the artist is and I could, you know, uh, find them in Apple Music then and listen to the album. Do either of you have Shazam installed on your phone? Oh, sure. Well, all Apple users now pretty much do. It's part of Siri. It's so also part of the Google Assistant. So I took Shazam out and just asked Google to tell me what that music is. Yep. Interesting. I'll have to play with that. I've, I've done a couple of Shazams lately where, gosh, that sounds familiar. Who is that? And sure enough, and it's amazing how little data it takes. I mean, it just takes a fraction of a couple of seconds and it figures out mm -hmm. what's playing in the background. Yeah, you just have to just have, you ask Siri, you know, ask Siri what, you know, what song is this? Or same thing with OK Google or whatever. And the only part is it can sometimes be a little bit embarrassing. Like you walk into a really cool hip restaurant and there's some music playing in the background and you actually have to audibly ask, <laughs> you know, who's playing, you know, this, who's, who's, what artist is this? Whisper every, to your phone. You can do that. Everybody around you is like, he doesn't know who this is. <laughs> what a, he's not cool. What an old grandpa. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's easier to just use, go to the Shazam app and quietly press that button <laughs> and uh, not have anybody figure out that, uh, that you didn't know who that, that song is. It's a huge hit song. How could you not know that? That kind of thing. Because there's a million ways to stream, you know? It's like, yep. Can't know it all. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's it's more a matter of uh, remembering an old song too. Um, you know, so you just oh, who was this? You know, it's a long time ago, and then people may roll their eyes and say, "You don't recognize that? That's you know, a classic or something." So, yeah. But anyway, well, I think we've put in most of an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What are you guys up to uh, this week? Well, in my case, it's just more of the same. I've got uh, trying to get ahead on things. Although um, I am, coincidentally, 
doing my aphoresis thing on Wednesday. And sometime soon, I have to figure out how I'm going to get my car washed because uh, when you drive like 900 miles across mm. two days, there are bugs that get in your way and they just, yeah, they can't get out of the way fast enough. So uh, my car is definitely in need of a little bit of a, of a cleaning. Yeah, same here. I drove through a snow, pretty much a snowstorm in the mountains on Sunday afternoon. And uh, boy, I mean, nothing like a high altitude snowstorm will just, your car just filthy when it's done. It looks, it's like, what have you done with that thing? It's not <laughs> even, the, what, I don't even know what color it is underneath. It's just covered. So yeah, that's, uh, got to get that stuff off. I think I mentioned it to Randy uh, earlier, but the, uh, as I was driving home, uh, one of the, so I live in Washington where the maximum speed limit you'll ever see here on a freeway is 70, which means I really enjoy Idaho and Utah. Uh, 85? Because, you know, because the maximum there is, is 80, which means of course I'm driving closer to 90. And uh, I saw up ahead of me a, a hawk actually, you know, catch something on the ground. He did the dive in and you could tell that there was some fluttering going on. And as he flew away, he was flying into the path of a semi that was up ahead of me. So he did a quick turn and unfortunately dropped the little rodent uh, that he had just caught. Unfortunately, little rodent that he had just caught landed on my car. Whoa. That that left a bit of a mark. Fortunately, no dent, just, you know, rodent guts. So I wonder if you did it on purpose just to kill it. Um, I, hey, here comes a car at 90. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it yeah. dropped you. So your car got hit with a rodent falling from the sky. A flying <laughs> rodent. Yes. It would have been, it would have been, if it had cracked your windshield, then you would have had to file an insurance claim saying he could have been like one of those insurance commercials, you know, uh -huh. believe it or not. It's yep. a flying rat. Yep. No. Slammed into my car at 180 miles an hour. If it was coming in the opposite direction, yeah. <laughs> well, and I just typed, you know, I, I do the tags while we're talking, and I just typed a new tag that we've never used before. Skyrogers. Sky <laughs> so, so, yeah. Needless to say, he didn't survive. Yeah, I, I was, uh, in my drive in the snow, I, I actually got, at one point, I didn't like how the, driver behind me was driving in the snow seemed a little reckless so i moved over a lane and two minutes later he slammed into the back of the car in front of him which was the car in front of me previously. in other words i got out of the way and two minutes Just later he didn't i guess he did react fast enough or his car his brakes didn't work right and i yep i just missed that one good for but, you yeah i'm glad i noticed that he was really just did not seem to be handling his car well. See, yeah. check your mirrors. Yeah, always pay attention oh, to what's going no on kidding. behind you. I always, I always, uh, when I was young, I did get rear-ended at a red light uh, once. Just sitting there at a red light, <laughs> I got rear-ended. And uh, the ever since then, I am, whenever I come to a, a red light, I do check my rearview mirror to see if there's somebody behind me that is like tailgating me, going way too fast meaning that maybe I need to give them a little more space or as much space as possible to stop um, and not stop like there's nobody behind me at all, you know. So, yeah, so the happens. only time I've been rear-ended, I was rear-ended by my own mother. <laughs> <laughs> there's a story there, I'm sure, but it was, you know, I was stopped at a stop sign and 
she thought I went and I didn't. She did. Um, Oops. Yep. yep. <sighs> so, what are you going to do? Sewer. Yeah. Get your- <laughs> <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyer, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But your lawyer right. is my brother. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm going to be working on my website and uh, you guys will be hearing from me because yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. is it one of the or two of the bees that are going to be uh, marketing toward the bees? Yes, and as I understand it, somewhere on my to-do list is also working on your website. So, <laughs> yeah, but I'll definitely. Uh, I, I think I will have my new website up and running. Uh, very excited about that. So, yeah, and that's a neat project. I, I really like that, and I think it's one that I'm going to be using myself. Yay! Okay. Alrighty. All right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh45. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.